Uh, let's, uh, I think let's pause again for a prayer, uh, just as we are. Father, I want to thank you for, for this night, for this evening where we can still worship you, where we can come together. Um, and let us continue to be encouraged when we come together, Lord, to hear the stuff that's going on, um, but more just to know your will, to know your purpose of who we are in you. And this is what we ask for in Jesus' name as we come together tonight. Lord, reveal yourself to us. Show us what you want from us, who you want us to be. We thank you that you are the lion and the lamb. We thank you that you are the one fighting our battles, Lord. So we pause for a moment and we think of just how wonderful you are. That you're in charge of Every single struggle we have, every limp we have, Lord, every headache and temperature we have, that you are in charge of it all. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. It's uh, quite different to come together on an evening now. It hasn't been done for a while, I think, like this. Although every third of the month is band, so you're more than welcome to come together, hear the band and worship. Uh, I will start by saying that normally I do Ephesians, and I'm running through Ephesians this year, but I'll, I'll put a pause to that um, for today uh, because of a conversation I had with a youth group kid. Uh, I don't know if that's up there yet, is it? No, that's okay, no worries. I want to show you a picture of Nathaniel, if you've met Nathaniel. Um, you'll know who I'm talking about. If you haven't met Nathaniel, he is a kid that goes to Kurunjang Secondary College. Um, he is a Christian. He attends another church. However, him and his sister attend a youth group. They're not baptised, but he's in the middle of seeking, and he's one of those that put his name up that wants to do this baptism workshop, which is really exciting. Um, he shared with me on the way home from youth group that he went to a a student forum, and at this student forum they talk about cultural issues. And he raised his opinion about abortion. And his opinion about abortion was pro-life, which means he's against abortion, which, which so am I, where I'm against the murder of a baby. Um, he was quick to tell me that he was shut down really, really fast and he felt uncomfortable and awkward within this group for the rest of the time that he was there. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way for standing up or sharing your belief. I wonder if you have or if you feel too scared to even say what he says because of who's around us and what our society believes rather than what we believe. It's quite different. So, uh, it's not up there. I'm going to keep looking around, but nothing will be there. And that's okay. So I'm going to raise this verse with you. And I want you to tell me, it's night time, so yell out if you feel like something's come to your head or your heart and you want to yell it out, go for it, no worries. I'm going to ask you, um, what's the first thing that pops into your mind when you hear this scripture? And it's found in Matthew. And it says, but if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn also the other. 
And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you. And do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. What comes to your mind? How do you interpret this? Or how is this generally interpreted? Yeah, Uncle Tim. Mm. Mm. Okay, so so that's how it should be, but what about me? Any other thoughts? Yeah? I feel like you want to say something, Zorita. Yes. <laughs> yeah, go for it. I was just thinking, if somebody slaps us and we start shouting, Speak lovingly about the truth. Okay, so it's the way it should be, but what about me? Do do lovingly in speaking the truth. Yep. Okay, very good. Yeah, we'll get into some cultural stuff as it was back then. Yep. Yep. Yes, Oscar. Can I stop you there? <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to have to come up here. <laughs> how about... No, it's all right. It's okay. How, how about if I miss something, please add to it as we go along. I think because it's a sort of an evening format, I think we can be a little bit more relaxed. Yeah, yeah don't. Yeah, yeah, sure. What about the cloak? So, so we definitely will be talking about Jewish culture. And this is quite a fun way to do a sermon. I'm just asking questions and you do the sermon here for me. Okay. So let's talk about that Jewish culture and what it means to be slapped with a backhand or a forehand. Yeah, Uncle Martin first. Sorry. And then Helen. Yeah. Mm. 
So, so some of the stuff that Jesus says sounds hugely impossible. And I want to bring up a story, actually, in regards to this scripture as well, really, that I heard. Yep. How, Aunt Elle? Just one more thing. If you're going to get your cloak as well in those days, they had no underwear, so you're going to be naked. So there's... <laughs> Fantastic. You're right. And that's what I'm going to talk about being naked. So well done. Yep. Yep. Very good. So let's go to that first one. The first one is, if someone slaps you, what are we supposed to do? What is, this is the words of Jesus, right? So what, what does he ask us to do since you're giving me the sermon? That I'll make you do it, yep. Right, we do expose them. You're right. And this is what you were talking about. In a Jewish culture, to be handed a backhand slap is really demeaning. It's really, really demeaning. In fact, slaves would rather be whipped than have a backhanded slap because it tells them where they are. It says, I'm master and you're slave. It's giving an authority to someone and a power over someone. And so what it is, it, Matthew adds the, the word right hand. And I'm going to use Mal, and I definitely will not slap Mal. But if you use your right hand, because left hand in Jewish culture or in Palestine first century times, that was an offence to use your left hand. That was used for unclean things. You use your right hand. So if I was to hit Mel's right cheek, which is your right cheek, Mel? <laughs> Trick question. <laughs> yeah. How am I going to slap it? With my backhand or my forehand? My backhand. Okay. So if she now turns the other cheek. Good. I don't know if you can see that, but yeah. What am I now forced to slap her? Right, or a fist, or a punch. So, though, if we punch, if a master punches a slave, what they're actually saying is, you are now equal to me, because a fist fight meant equality. A front-handed slap means you're, you're equal to me too. So what the slave is doing, what Jesus is asking us to do, is to stand up for ourselves. He says, don't be treated like a doormat. However... Does he use violence? Is violence used here? No, Jesus never used it. Unless he turned over the tables. That's the only time we can see a recording of Jesus. So he asks us here to shame him. Now this is a love. This is a type of love that shames. Oops, sorry microphone. So, but how beautiful. Why does love and shame go together? Well, think of it from our point of view. We had to have enough shame from our sin to turn to God. We needed to be shamed enough by love that shames us to turn to him. And Jesus is saying right now, do the same. That's what I'm hearing. Don't be treated like a doormat, but give them the other cheek also. So that person who is slapping you, now sees you as an equal and possibly points out the oppression he's putting on that person. 
God never wanted them, us to be oppressed. Jesus was the one who stood up for the marginalised, the weak, the poor. He stood up for them. He gave them a voice for the women and the children. This is what he did. Then I, I read somewhere that, well, hold on, Jesus, and there was going to be a picture up there of Jesus with the, um, with the courts just before his crucifixion, and he gets slapped. And I'll read it to you. It's in John 18. And he... Rev- okay, when he had said this, this is through the courts, they're having a discussion. Who are you, Jesus? What are you doing? Are you blaspheming? Do you say you're the king of the Jews? John 18.22 says, And when he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is this how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered. <coughs> Did Jesus turn the other cheek? Well, not literally, although he taught us to. But let's have a look what he does say. If, you have spoke, if I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? In a sense, he's turning the other cheek. Right? Is he being a doorman? He's pointing out their fault. When we turn the other cheek in love, absolutely in love, and when it seems so hard to do, we're actually pointing out their fault. I don't know how that translates for you today in today's world. But that's what we have to think about. Let's go to the next one. I don't want to stay too long. Oh, I did want to mention that Israel Folau popped into my head though. And we know that this is going on. And I heard there was a discussion at camp about Israel Folau. And I missed it all because I was with the youth, which was absolutely an awesome time for us though. Um, however, right now he is appealing because they've torn up his contract, Right. Could that be a sense of Israel saying, I want to show you you're wrong. I want to show you that you're blocking my freedom of speech to speak about Jesus. Could that be what he's doing? Could he be turning the other cheek in a sense? Not being a doormat. Because the story I was going to share was a story about a house for sale. And a pastor's parents actually were, were selling a house. And a Christian from another church heard about it and says... I prayed and God said, you've got to sell me the house. So the parents said, okay, we'll also pray. And they prayed for three nights. And they came back to the man and they said, God has said something to us. And it was nothing. So we're not selling you the house. So who's wrong here? Who's right here? And we can go on. If someone's asking something for us, because I'm going to get to the cloak soon, and we keep giving them stuff, what would this world look like? If we we tore up the contract of Israel for Lao because he's a Christian, and he just says, go for it, and doesn't put an up appeal, won't they just be tearing all of our contracts up, my own contract up, That's right. He's not. So, so, right. And the same as the turning the cheek. There is no violence there, is there? Sorry, Michael, did you want to say something? Yeah. 
Good point. Absolutely. Yep. I wanted to say that in front of Oh, okay. Yep. We'll go quick though. Yeah, yeah. The Christians to stand up for, it's not about the money. He said that many times. And his heart is to serve God. And always he said that he just wants God to be glorified in this. But I think he feels that he's standing up for Christians for He's saying, I'm a human being just like you. I refuse to be humiliated any longer. Yeah. That's what he's saying. But not in a violent way at all. So how does Nathaniel approach the student voice who shuts him down when he speaks about abortion? So what about give him your shirt also? This, I'll try to be quick, this, um, the cloak in the Jewish culture was something that everybody had. If you were a poor man or not, if you are a poor woman or not, you owned a cloak. A cloak kept you warm and it also gave you either a blanket or a pillow to sleep on at night. In fact, the cloak was so important in this culture that uh, there's a law in Exodus, Exodus, I think it's Exodus, Genesis or Exodus, somewhere at the beginning of our Bible, and they're talking about pledges. And if a man made a pledge, he would have to give his cloak and that guy would have to own the cloak for the pledge. However, he would have to return that at night so the person could keep warm and could have something to sleep on and then return it again. So even though it's sort of theirs, they had to still return it. You get it? That's how important the cloak was. Now, if you... This, and Auntie Alan, you're right. This is, this is talking about being naked. If you sue someone for a cloak, you take it off and you give it to them. That's okay. That's allowed. In our culture, if I stood here today naked, I'd feel very shamed. In the Jewish culture, if you saw me naked, you would be shamed. So talking about shame again, Oscar. You would be shamed. And there's a scripture um, when Noah, do you remember when Noah got drunk, fell asleep in his tent? He had a son came in and looked at him naked. He went out and he told his other two brothers. doesn't say what his intentions were or what was going on. Maybe he was bragging, hey, dad's naked, go and have a look at him. What did the other two brothers do? Do you remember what they did? They did cover him, but do you know how they went into the tent? Backwards. They weren't going to see him because it was a shame upon them, especially to see their father like that. That's the culture we're talking about. It was a shame to see someone naked. Someone sues you for a cloak... We can be a doormat and give him everything else as well. Or is Jesus saying something different? Because if you took off your shirt, are you then exposing them for their wrong again? Aren't you pointing out where they stand? Here, have my shirt also. I'm a poor man, but take my shirt too. So who now has the shame? The person suing. And is that violent? It's a non-violent form for us to stand up, for us to speak about the truth, for us to show who's really the abuser here. Yeah. Good. It's a love that shames. And the last one. If someone walks with you one mile, how many miles do we go with them? What's the scripture say? Go to. 
Jesus says. I, I imagine this, um, this preaching of Jesus that possibly, and I don't know, it doesn't say it anywhere, but I use my imagination sometimes while reading the Bible. And there's a large crowd around. This is one of his sermons on the mount. And he's speaking to all these people and this is what he's telling him. If someone asks you to walk one mile, go two. Okay. There might have been Jews around. might have been Gentiles around. And there might have been Roman soldiers around. Now why I bring up Roman soldiers is because by law in first century Palestine, it was a law that if a Roman soldier asked you to pick up their stuff and walk with them one mile, you had to do it. You had to do it. It was the law. The law stops at one mile. If they go beyond a mile, that Roman soldier could be rationed, could be put on small food um, rations, I suppose. Yeah, that's what the word. Yep. Um, he could be flogged. He'll be punished in a sense. If they made that person walk more than one mile, it became against the law. A law that protected those. So if you were a farmer just mowing your field and a Roman soldier came by with his weapons and he says, you've got to pick up my stuff and walk with me one mile, they had to do it. They had to drop everything. It's actually a two-mile walk, isn't it? Because they have to walk back. <laughs> you do. How would a Jew feel? Romans here in this world are the enemy. They persecute the Jews. They kill the Jews. They take all their stuff. But now I've got to walk with them. And I picture, maybe there's a couple of Roman soldiers listening to Jesus' sermon as well. And if he said, don't walk. Stand your ground. You don't have to walk with them. You're carrying their weapons that fight, this, that fight against you guys anyway. What do you think would have happened to him if a Roman soldier heard him say that? He's telling them to break the law? No. He's telling us to love extremely. And he says, walk another mile. So if you grab someone's bag and someone's weapon, you walk with them one mile, you're under their authority by the law. What happens as soon as you pass that mile? Who now has the authority? Can you picture that? Can you picture it a little bit? Wouldn't that Roman soldier say, hey, that's enough, that's a mile. And what if they kept going, no, I'm good, I'm good now. So like, no, please give me my bag back. Please, give, I don't want to be flogged. What are you doing? Are you crazy? It's like, no, I'm good. The authority is now in the hands of those that walk the mile. The oppressed. Jesus is giving power back to us. But how? In a loving loving way with extreme love he points it out for one yeah go for it yeah. so they, uh, they were never allowed to give their weaponry to be carried if they were separated from that history. okay thank you so carry my loaded bag but yeah okay very good if you do that extra you get in real trouble there you go <clears throat> very good imagine now though that intentional walk and I heard someone call it the miracle mile. Because it's a, mir- it's, a, it's a mile where they're doing it. We're doing it on our own terms, on our own volition. 
And a Roman soldier could possibly ask us, hey, why are you doing this? And why are you walking with me further? Isn't that an opportunity to say, hey, because Jesus told me to. Because Jesus loves me. Because he's my real authority. I don't have to listen to the law. I mean, I will. But this is now where I live with Jesus. In this extra mile. And you could share the gospel to a Roman soldier who'd be so surprised. Because no one wants to walk more than a mile. But now all of these Jews are walking two miles. And they're going, what is going on? The love of Jesus is being shown. In an extreme way. Yeah, we've got to walk two miles back. But on the cross, it was a Roman centurion, or a Roman soldier, maybe not a centurion, who stood by and saw Jesus crucified, and he said, surely this was the Son of God. And maybe he made someone walk a mile that they walked to. Maybe, just So what does it do? What is Jesus asking us in these verses? Not to be doormats. Not to stand idly and let people take all of our stuff. But give to them in love. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's easy to preach it. I can stand here and explain it. It's harder to do it. Much harder. But it's the miracle mile. It's the mile where I live with God now. It's the mile where I'm walking, not because I have to anymore, because I want to. And now I have the authority. So maybe, Nathaniel, when you talk about abortion, or when we're stuck with hard issues in our culture, and we may seem like we're the minority now because we believe in biblical values, Maybe we can walk a miracle mile. I don't know what that looks like to you. But I pray that it's possible. I pray that we see it. Let's all pause for a prayer. Father, instead of fighting for our rights, may we live for what is right before you. The spirit of humility, gentleness, forgiveness and love to those who are set against us. That we may truly be the sons of our Father. That people may see us in a wondrous, forgiving love of Jesus Christ. It grieves our hearts to know that so often we preach a God of forgiveness, a Christ of forgiveness, and then live unforgiving lives which must literally destroy the validity validity of our testimony. May we, as Paul said to Titus, adorn the doctrine of God. May our living match our message, that people see us, that forgiveness in Christ, that forgiving God, as we, even though the rights of dignity, security, liberty and property be taken away, may we never retaliate with less than love. Bring to them a certain amount of shame 
that they may know they are missing a dimension of life that we possess, and in so knowing, seek the only one who can give it, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.